0: okay so welcome to the fourth uh, evolving man podcast i um, really happy to have you here today today is going to be slightly different um today uh, rod here uh, good afternoon rod hello he's uh, going to be interviewing me about um, my book which has just come out yesterday on amazon and the book is about how to survive and thrive in challenging times and so I'm going to be in a moment passing it over to Rod. First of all, just wanted to introduce a bit the um, the idea with these podcasts is over the coming months, um, I'm going to be interviewing people, uh, especially men, just to do with men's work and how we as men at these times can, um, you know, have tools, practices Um, and teachings which can help us through these times to help us to step up really Um, So that's the uh, the intention. So uh, good afternoon Rod. Uh, Please. I pass it over to
1: to you Yeah, thanks Piers. It's good to be with you again Yeah, well, of course, I know you have a background in healing work Um, But for the listeners or the viewers who may not know much about your background, shall we start with a little bit of information about you and how you've moved through your life into the healing of men's issues, emotional woundings that you're working with right now? Yeah, great question. Uh, So,
0: I mean, it's where I begin, but essentially in the 90s, I went to business school, international business school, France, London, and then i i was working in london when i graduated and i got into self-development work it was 97 i'd split up from my partner and my sister lent me some books and that was the beginning of my journey Really, that i started to get interested but what i didn't realize is i had a lot of emotional wounding from childhood and so this was 1997 that i got interested and but I kept drinking, kept taking drugs. I was pretty unskillful. And it kind of took, when I was in, two, in 2000, I had a breakdown. And within a few weeks, really, I'd, my, I'd find out my father had cancer, terminal cancer. I'd left my partner, left my home. So I was basically homeless. And, you know, and I was just kind of sofa surfing. And it was around that time that I was like, okay, I've got a problem here, but I didn't know who to speak to. And and that's really, you know, 97, that's when the journey really began. And it's taken me, yeah, to the extremes, really. Um, it's taken me 2000. So I went and started helping my father out, um, who was living in, um, in Isle of Wight at the time. And I yeah i tried to help other people i thought that was a way that i could find happiness by helping others Uh, 2001 after my father died i went to africa i went to work as a volunteer coordinator there in ghana again i was about giving to others and but i was still broken i was still drinking taking drugs i wasn't living a very healthy life and it was at the end of 2001 when basically i started to think i was going insane i could hear voices in my head i was looking after my grandfather when i got back from africa and at that point i was like oh okay i need to do something i've been looking after people all my life it's time to i need help now and it was at that point 2001 i was like right i need to do something i think straight after that i went on a binge probably a couple of weeks just drinking drugs around uh, new year. And at the end of that period, I think it was around the 15th of January, 2002 I was like, ah, enough. And I started, I I kind of, I ended up going to visit a, a retreat center. And this retreat center was three weeks. And it was that
1: point I was like, Oh my God, I'm a mess. I need so something really would it be true to say would it be true to say that everything that's happened since has evolved from that moment, that low point of finding yourself on the binge and realizing you were a mess
0: yeah, 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 I think just yeah, I think it it was accumulation of things it was like ninety seven it was like I loved self development it was like really loving i felt really good the first time i meditated i share that in my book the story of going across victoria station when i'd been meditating a few weeks and just being in the flow and being feeling really happy and it was little things and then it got to that point where i was like i couldn't go forward anymore you know i was a mess and i booked in to see a psychiatrist essentially because i thought i was going crazy and Luckily, I didn't get to see the psychiatrist. I'd I'd left the country at that point. Um, So, yes, is the answer that, yeah, at that point, it was like, okay, I need to do some work here. Seems
1: like a familiar story, Piers, that sense of people reach their lowest point and then from then they have a choice to recover or to do the work that's necessary. So we'll get on to that in a little while, no doubt. But if we fast forward to right now and the book's been published and came out, in fact, yesterday, the 19th of May. Mm -hmm. What was it that led you to write the book?
0: So it was 2008. I'd been out of the monastery. So I'd gone to a monastery. So I'd been out of the monastery 2008 for a couple of years. And I just had these teachings going around my head you know, for three and a half years, I was in the monastery, and I was receiving the teachings from the monks every day. Mm. And I just noticed as I was walking along, even when I was there, just these teachers, teachings started to come to me. Mm. And then I started to write them down. And, um, I have a bookshelf back there where I just write books and books and books of notes and, um, and things. So it just felt like the natural progression to share my story. And I thought if I can, if I can support one person with the story, then um, yeah. Um, so it's, that was kind of what drew me to write. It was like I had it all going around my head and, uh, and yeah, I really love writing. So
1: well, it's a beautiful book and it's certainly full of the love you have of writing and the information and techniques and tools that you've gathered. And I noticed as I was reading it, you've interwoven your own personal story through the the book from beginning to end and you don't spare us the details it's right (laughs) down and dirty
0: (laughs) yeah
1: so I was wondering how challenging was it to combine these two threads which I think they go together beautifully Mm, the techniques for bringing yourself back to some healthy balanced place and this extraordinary story of what you went through to Mm. get to this place how difficult was it
0: yeah very challenging I mean I started it 2008 and I've gone through three revisions and I've had such resistance to putting it out there that it's now Mm. 2020
1: so 12 years resistance yeah so
0: I put it on my website it's been onto my on my website people could download it but very few people have known about it Mm. and and therefore yeah it was challenging to write you know, to go through that. And I'm just writing my second book at the moment about my boarding school experiences. Mm. And likewise, it's like a lot of tears. But the reason I put the stories in there is to show that if I can get through something like this, then, and these are the tools that I've used and I feel that then you can too, to say that, you know, if I've had the tragedies or been through the things that I've been through and I can come out the other side. I'm still a work in progress. I still have to do work on myself. I still have to catch myself and do this work. But um, that's partly why I wanted to interweave the story because you know, I I read it again last week, the book, and it was like, God, am I really ready for that to go out there? (laughs) It's like, I've really made some silly mistakes. And I did a men's group um, a couple of weeks ago and uh, we were asked the question, you know what's the thing you regret the most in your life
1: and I was like which one <laughs> sure well I put my hand up to that I think that's <laughs> something most men would kind of accept and as the for truth for, for them so that's great and very clear but who do you think the market for this book is Piers who's it aimed at who's who's the man or woman I suppose is it aimed at women as well who could benefit from that yeah
0: so i think i started putting videos onto youtube in 2006 2000 yeah 2006 and what's happened over the years is the people who've been drawn to my work as being men Hmm. so it's mainly written for men partly because of my own experiences that and yet i see that those people who've come to my classes or done you know I used to do healing in the center of my my town and I used to get women clients. But over the last few years, it's mainly been men. So it's mainly men aimed at men, but I see that it can relate to women just as much uh, because these are challenging times. And I didn't write it specifically for men. I just wrote it from my heart going, I need to just share my story and these are things that have worked for me.
1: Yeah, well, I can testify, having read it, that it's absolutely packed with practical techniques. I mean, they're not difficult exercises. They're just practical, simple, straightforward things that people can use to bring themselves back into balance, as for want of a better way of putting it. And 11 chapters, which are themed, the basic structures or foundations, I would say, of of emotional healing, So, for instance, we've got exercise and fitness, wealth and money, using spirituality to overcome stress, how to reduce stress. And so it goes on. It's beautifully laid out section by section. And all of these chapters contain exercises and tips. The 101 ways are spread through the 11 chapters. 101 ways is the title of the book, in case anyone's wondering. 101 ways to cultivate resilience, well-being and inner peace in all areas of your life. So, of course, there are many lessons in this book and, and many uh, men will reading it will have those aha moments. I'm just wondering, Piers, what stands out for you as the greatest lesson or lessons that life has taught you, that you've put into this book?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, when you sent the questions through last night, I was just reflecting and, you know, I think the biggest shift I had... so. I, It was I was I mean if I go into the story a little bit so 2002 to 2001 I you know had this realization 2002 I went to this retreat center in this retreat center I met uh, an ex-monk and I went to him for sessions and he lent me this book called the warrior within (laughs) and so he became like this guide for the few weeks i was there by you know by robert moore and douglas gillette and while i was there working with him he said what you probably need is to go and visit uh, a monastery and so i sent off a letter nothing happened uh, they were on winter retreat so he says oh let me contact another monastery so i con- he contacts another monastery and the abbot there said oh yes we could do with someone to come and help during our winter retreat so i spoke to him the short of it was i I went up to visit this monastery so it was i think it was february 14th 2002 the reason i remember is the day before it was the last time i had a drink of alcohol or or smoke i had drugs and it was my sister was leaving to to go traveling So I remember 14th of February, I went up to the monastery and it was, yeah, it was really challenging and I made a real mess of it for a few years. I mean, a real mess of it. And the biggest insight was after a couple of years, maybe 18 months, two years, I just had this insight um, about letting go of getting my own way.
1: Letting go of getting your own way. Mm
0: -hmm. And when I had that, it was like, ah, you know, I'd been so serious. You know, monastic life is not easy by any account. <laughs> if you ever tried, you know, it was no sex, no sexual contact with yourself, um, no um, meal after midday. Although in summertime it went up to one one o'clock. Um, what other things were in there? So no lying, no stealing. Um, the only things I really could do was I could uh, eat. Before midday, I could exercise, I could work, meditate, read, and that was it. There was no internet, no, no, very few things, and I really struggled with that, especially when I took the monastic vows. I was just, I was a novice, which meant I went wore white robes rather rather than the orange robes, and I'd had eight precepts rather than the two hundred and twenty seven precepts that the the the, the monks had and i really struggled with it it was that control but it was what i felt when i got to that mon- got to the monastery was it was like i had this safe container around me yeah. and i know robert moore talks about that in one of his talks saying that in order for us to be initiated we need three things we need a ritual elder mm-hmm. and that was the abbot you need yeah. a safe space that's the monastery and then you need some form of humiliation and i shaved my head and my eyebrows i wore white for three years it was like literally you know humiliation mm. and it was at the point where i let go of getting my own way that i was like ah oh. it was like oh great it was just a, a real wake up and from that point on i started to heal i mean as you read in the book um, the, yeah, the journey was challenging uh, <laughs> on the
1: very challenging indeed, <laughs> and i 'm fascinated by the concept of initiation in that space I and mean, mm-hmm. Men listening to this may probably will be familiar with initiation from boyhood to manhood and from young adult to mature adult and perhaps initiation into elderhood and the different forms that they take. but what was it you were being initiated into in that monastic setting with those three things? The elder the safe space and the humiliation or the the ritual of wearing the robes and shaving Mm. head what was the initiation about so i feel
0: i mean i remember sitting in the monastery one day so we lived very simply i had a room a couple of pads on the floor and i was just sitting there and i was like realizing i was 26 27 at the time i thought i'm still a boy ah i see And it's only since I've been through the journey that I've kind of in listening to talks and doing work with the archetypes, I've realized what happened. But essentially I was a boy Mm. and what the process did, it started to help me to become a man. And I love what Robert Moore talks about in another of his talks. He talks about this, the grail cup, that as boys, we grow up and we start to sculpt this grail cup. And mine, as you know from the story, was very, very cracked and so i arrived in the monastery with this mess of a cup and what the process was was starting to heal this cup put it back together and you know i was so fragile in the monastery so fragile you know Um, i I self-harmed and i tried to take my own life it was like trying to yeah to trying to heal these wounds. And I had such great support. I worked with a Jungian analyst while I was there who got me to write my dreams down every night and I'd send them to her. And I wrote down hundreds and hundreds of dreams. And then I had the monks and that safe container. So I feel the initiation was for me going from boy to to becoming a man. That's very clear. Mm. um, In the shamanic traditions I've trained in, they talk about the age from 27 to 30 is called the chaotic journey and meaning that those things that you've not worked on before that the wounds they come up in those period for you to um, to heal now I went to the monastery four months before my 27th birthday and I left a month before my 30th and I didn't know anything about this but I was there for my chaotic journey and it was the most chaotic thing you could imagine on one level, but it sure. totally restructured my psyche. And, um, yeah, it was profound,
1: hellish, uh, <laughs> like everything. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just thinking as we talk, we might be scaring some of the listeners who want, who know they have a need for some recovery work of some kind or to heal their emotions. Mm-hmm. They might be getting a bit scared in thinking they have to go off to a monastery for three years to kind of undergo those experience, experiences. So let's bring it back to, you know, the men who are listening to this and who know that they need to do something. What do you think they can do most practically to heal and what part in that healing will your book play okay so for me you know I don't think
0: people need to go through what I went through Um, my experiences were pretty traumatic growing up and therefore I feel that one is like the things I've realized now is that it doesn't need to be as painful as that. There needs to be a commitment, Mm -hmm. you know? So what I teach my clients, the people I work one-on-one with is to, to have a daily practice. So you commit to doing the work, but you have a daily practice. And it might be 30 minutes a day, morning and evening. And that's what I get my clients to commit to is to do that. And there's lots of exercises in the book. And it's, you know, putting the meditation in there, the breath work, Mm. the yoga, the qigong, you put that into your 30 minutes. And I feel that starts to, you know, bring shape to our grail cup by doing the the practice. The other thing that I found is, you know, some form of shadow work or uh, energy psychology. So I've trained in EFT and matrix re-imprinting. And I met when I was doing my training in matrix re-imprinting a Jungian analyst and I told him of my journey I spent four years in total with uh, two different Jungian analysts and I tried counseling and that didn't work for me so I found the Jungian analysis really great that was my shift as I started to look at my unconscious and I was speaking to this Jungian analyst on this um, workshop and he says oh I've given up my Jungian analysis work because I found that matrix re-imprinting works so much quicker. And I found that, yeah, if, if someone's watching this and it's like, oh, yeah, what do I do? It's like there are tools now, things like psych K, matrix re-imprinting, EFT, these other paradigms, shadow work that you can do, that you can go within and, and heal. And it doesn't have to be like, like myself. I mean the abbot said to me when I at one point he said well what you've been through in two three years is would have taken you 10 years in therapy or 20 years in therapy I think he said 10 years and so
1: yeah um, I yes exactly and I I think that's fantastic to keep in mind that there are different ways of healing and there are different approaches and not the same approach will suit everybody Mm -hmm. but in this book we've got a whole variety of techniques and exercises um as you mentioned a few of them a minute ago some just looking down the list here of course people will recognize gratitude practice exercise for compassion speaking mindfully these are practical things that people can do these are not deep diving long-term psychotherapeutic analytical exercises they're practical tools that move people forward and as I look down that list Piers I'm just wondering if there's a favourite exercise or exercises for you um, in the book there's 44 altogether throughout the book Um, so it's a lot to choose from do you have a favourite? I do yeah so for me it's laughter Oh really?
0: Yeah, <laughs> See yeah. I'm starting
1: already,
0: it's infectious. <laughs> yeah I mean it was probably I wasn't I was very serious that was part of my wounding It was about uh-huh. like to be very serious and you know city work Um, and I remember I it was about 2008 2009 and I'd been teaching stress management to with executives and things like that and I just had a not a very good business deal or uh, it didn't turn out very well, mm. and I was a bit stressed about it. So I said, like, oh, what do I do? So I just came across laughter yoga. So I thought, oh, <laughs> I try it, and, and I found that's just brilliant. If I'm thinking or worrying, I just need to laugh for a couple of minutes. And it's a practice I do every day still. I'll do my, um, my exercise, i do my yoga, and then I'll lie doing savasana on the mat. And then I listen to a little guided laughter meditation and then I just, (laughs) 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 and it's like this joyfulness. It's like, if you look at, for me, real benevolent King energy, like the Dalai Lama, you look at, for me, I look at uh, Nelson Mandela or some of these other monks, they're all laughing. They're all smiling. And as we, you mentioned in the interview we did um, four weeks, three, four weeks ago, about the king being in joy. Yes, absolutely. That's right. And so that is my, my favorite, just because it's very simple. It seems to just switch off the neocortex, the thinking mind. So even if I'm worrying about something, it's like. <laughs> and yeah, so that's that's my, my favorite exercise in that.
1: Right. Fantastic. I remember saying something like one of the qualities of the king is the fact that he knows everything is all right, even mm-hmm. if it's shit, it's still all right. Mm-hmm. And there's an acceptance of what is and in that that joyous place, you can see how that can be. It's like, yeah, just it's all right. Let's just accept what is and then let's do something to change this if it needs to be changed. Mm-hmm. So it's not mm-hmm. a kind of passive acceptance. it's a a place I think of looking forward and the joy and the laughter exercise I think is perfect It's one Mm. of the shortcuts to stepping into sovereignty I think yeah yeah there's that beautiful feedback loop that's was it Paul Ekman am I right in the name yeah discovered that Actually, it's not a one-way traffic in emotions. They make your face look miserable if you're sad, but if you pull your sad face, you are feeling, you feel miserable. It goes both mm-hmm. ways. So with yeah. joy, bingo. you want
0: <laughs> to yeah. feel joyous? Just laugh. Yeah, and I think it was Paul Ekman said as well in one of his research that um, when, if I laugh, it stimulates and prepares your brain for laughter as well. Yeah. And so exactly. when we bring that laughter to a group, then that affects other people and they they kind of, you know, if you, you do it long enough, then
1: they'll join in <laughs> or leave, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So there's a couple of things that really struck me through the book, Piers. I mean, compassion and gratitude. I mean, there's many other themes running all the way through the text, but compassion and gratitude stand out. And I think compassion is about compassion for self and gratitude is gratitude for what is and what you have but maybe you could expand on that and give us your perspective on those two qualities or attributes mm. so yeah
0: compassion in buddhism there's called the four brahma which essentially are it's uh, metta loving kindness compassion karuna mudita which is uh, sympathetic joy and upeka which is equanimity so they're considered the four jewels Uh, i can't remember exactly what the Viharas means Uh, and yet compassion for me yeah i see as a central teaching in my own life is that i was really hard on myself and i just noticed i think the buddha Use this analogy, and I, I guess it's he used it more for anger, but saying when you're angry, it's like you're holding this hot rock, and you don't realize that it's burning you. Yeah. It's only when you put the hot rock down do you realize, ah, actually, that's the relief of not holding this hot rock. And I see that part of the way for me of letting go of that hot rock is like through compassion, is seeing, for example, another person hurts. I mean, some of the monks in the monastery um, had been through equal challenges that i i had been through if not more severe and and therefore sometimes we would clash and the abbot used to tell me and help me to see compassion have compassion for this person Mm -hmm. rather than get angry at them and and i just found that you know really key and it was not just compassion for others it was having compassion for myself that actually i've been through quite a lot here and it was that process of grieving i mean in the interview again you said four weeks ago about the importance of grieving and i literally cried every day for at least two years Mm. heavily grieving you know just tears upon tears i'd wait during my you know and this is from not crying at all For 15 years to suddenly crying every day and that for me it was like this reservoir just flowing out and part of it was yeah the grief and having started to have compassion for myself Mm. love for myself again you know really hated myself um age 26 27 oh gosh yes uh because that's what i had been taught to do Mm. there must be something wrong with me yeah and so it was beginning, you know, and the abbot used to say to me, receive yourself as you are, Piers. And it was like, <sighs> so now it's like I couldn't cry before. Now I can cry like that. And most days I still cry, but it's part of my practice. I do laughter and then I might do a bit of crying. And then it's, it's I feel a lot freer. Yeah. Uh, so that for me is a compassion is
1: like, um, it, yeah, it was, I see it really key. Um, mm, absolutely. Self compassion in particular, that ability to, well, somehow silence the inner critic is part of that, having compassion for self. I don't think you can be compassionate when you have an inner critic that's mm-hmm. beating down on you. And I do recall you mentioned that in the book. Mm-hmm. I noticed, by the way, we've completely left the question sheet behind. And that's oh, that's funny. fine. No yeah, worries. Uh, so that inner critic fascinated me because, you know, I've got a way of when my inner critic pipes up of kind of negotiating with him or talking to him, which usually is what he's after anyway. But in the book, you describe this, I think is an NLP technique of changing his shape and form. Do you want to just mention that? Because I'm sure, as we know, everyone has an inner critic. Yeah, so... or lesser uh, ferocity, yeah. <laughs> uh, so
0: I believe this is the, because there's quite a few techniques. I believe the technique you're referring to is If you notice you've got this voice in your head so we could just run through this now imagine you've got this voice who's criticizing you notice where it is in your head Mm -hmm. and then just putting it in front of you it might be a meter in front of you and then just moving it off again and again get it to repeat the criticism you know one of mine when I worked corporately was um, I've got too much work on or you know I, I can't cope so you put that voice off in front of you and then it's to start to change it. So it's either to turn the volume down or to give it like Donald Duck voice or uh, I can't think of another character. Mickey uh, Mouse springs to mind. In me, Mickey Mouse. Me, yes. Yeah. So Mickey Mouse. And then just putting it off in the distance. So it's like we're meeting that part of ourselves. And that just for me just um it takes the edge off you know yeah, that nice. the inner critic and, and and i i think yeah so that's
1: well I, I as you were saying that i had an image of mickey mouse appearing for my inner critic he's never looked like that before um so you know it's hard To take that seriously as an inner critic, it's like okay, thank you. And I see what you mean about taking the edge off it. It changes the tonality and the energy and the sense of it completely. Yeah. Now, of course, these are simple techniques, but they work. Mm -hmm. No matter how crazy that might sound to somebody, the fact is it works. And you know, Mm -hmm. as do all the others in the book. But what comes up for me as I say that, and you're nodding, how? can somebody who's reading this book and they've got these exercises find the discipline if you like to use the word discipline or the rigor of doing them every day which is Mm. what's actually required i believe yeah
0: yeah so thank you that's a great question and for me one of the keys is having just a morning routine Mm. so some people believe it begins in the morning but for me it also begins in the evening. It's like, when we get to bed early, when we get to bed, say 10, 11 o'clock, and we then set our alarm. So if we usually get up at seven o'clock, we set our alarm for 6.30, you know, Mm -hmm. or in my case, I do, you know, this is just me because I'm passionate about it and because I teach others, I do between three to four hours of practice uh, a day in the morning. So I get up at six and I will, you know, do my practice. And what I find is that, one, is if you make that intention on getting up in the morning, in the night beforehand, Uh so you just see, oh yeah, and you do everything you can that you're going to sleep well. Then in the morning when you get up, you're kind of more ready to go. And it's like having, for me, this, this discipline. So I think for men, this is one of the things I do. So I have a calendar and on this calendar, I will write down my practices. So, you know, I, I annotate them. So I've got Taoist practices, matrix re-imprinting, meditation, pranayama. I do high intensity stretching. So I write these things down and it's like, it's holding myself accountable to doing those. Sometimes I don't feel like it and
1: yet I'll still do it exactly so that's the warrior's discipline isn't it which is is. yeah key to kind of getting things done yeah yeah yeah
0: and it's it's kind of coming back to that king energy that what is my goal or where do i want to go with this maybe it's i want to learn something new so i've started in the last few months spending 30 minutes to an hour of my practice studying and it's like so it's keeping that so we have the discipline of the warrior but me coming back up to the king of what's my goal
1: yeah
0: oh i want to get fitter or i want to feel less stressed so we have that clarity and then we can design our our morning routine from that
1: Excellent. Um, and so of course all of this is set out in the book isn't it so this is actually yeah. a complete manual it's not just giving people a list of 40 44 exercises and 101 ways, it's actually a practical manual.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. This is yeah. what you can do and this is how you do it. And this is how long it will take mm-hmm. and this is your choice. And as I look down there, I just caught sight of the word gratitude. So perhaps you'd like to give us your perspective on gratitude because I think in a way this has become one of the hackneyed and perhaps um, searching for the word less respected things that people put out there your gratitude mm. practice so i know you have mm. a different perspective on it and i think yeah. it'd be nice to hear that thank you thank you Mark.
0: so I just invite people reading and uh, listening to this now is just to stop and breathe just place your hand over your heart and i i prefer the center of the heart the the chest um and i just invite you to just breathe In through the nose, out through the nose, relaxing your shoulders. In through the nose. And out through the nose. And final time in through the nose.
1: And out through the nose.
0: So you can either keep your eyes closed, but this is for me the, for the thing between gratitude that a lot of people practice. It's kind of more cerebral, cerebral. I feel it needs to come down to the heart, going from duality, good and bad, right and wrong, down to the heart, which is more unity. And when we're in that feeling space, um, it comes from the HeartMath Institute, a quick coherence technique where you just imagine you're breathing in and out through the heart Mm -hmm. feeling your hand over your chest in and out through the heart and from that space we then connect to what we're grateful for you know and there's different ways of doing this uh for me what i like to do is you know i'll do this as a practice before i go to bed so before i go to sleep i'll do my meditation and as i'm lying down drifting off i'll just go into that beautiful space of gratitude Mm -hmm. and it's you know you can do it general so they talk about going general so that the sun came up today that i have water to drink it's like Mm -hmm. you know these huge things that if they weren't there then our lives would be so different imagine if it was now dark Mm -hmm. outside Mm -hmm imagine if you know we have 206 i always get this wrong 206 or 208 bones in our body imagine if one was broken but you know even if one was you've still got 207 which are okay but we focus on that one which is not working very true very true and so for me that's the practice of gratitude is like to feel it in our hearts to feel you know to feel the body to feel that joy And it's like, ah, yeah. And if it becomes rote, you know, then, you know, sometimes you can write it down in your journal, but then go back over it and then feel it. Don't just write it. Just say, oh, I've had a good day today. Then go back and go, feel it, look up. You know, when we go down, our eyes go down, we get more going into our feelings, emotions. When we look up, you know, and we open the body up, so ah yeah i can move into a different space a different Mm -hmm. feeling
1: excellent thank you and as i said a few minutes ago the the book's divided into 11 chapters and there's um a different topic in each chapter but one that's going to be very relevant to a lot of our listeners is finances wealth, money, abundance. And you talk about this, there's some fantastic exercises in the book to create abundance. And again, you know, if I was thinking about some of the books I've read over the years on abundance and some of the practices that I've heard recommended, it's quite possible that people listening to this could be a little bit cynical, but I was really struck by how different the practices in this book are. So do you want Mm -hmm. to talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah so uh for me abundance you know i think the word wealth comes from the root well-being so when we say wealth it's not just about financial wealth and i think that's really good about the covid-19 the lockdown we're seeing what we do have yes we're appreciating the weather we're appreciating nature we're appreciating our families walking things like that so it's realizing first of all abundance is kind of this this well-being that for me is important and i see that you know yeah one of the things i noticed is when someone says to you you know would you receive would you like a million dollars or a million pounds i say yes and then you say you give someone a compliment you say you're beautiful and you say no i'm not he says well if you can't receive a compliment how do you receive <laughs> mm. the gifts and often, great point great point often people give us these gifts and we don't receive them mm. and therefore it's learning to receive more to give yes i think that's very much the king the warrior you know the masculine giving but we must receive as well and abundance is our way of receiving um so yeah i feel you know when i worked in london i was i earned quite a lot of money and i lived near Hampstead Heath, quite an exclusive area i had a lovely flat and and yet i wasn't wealthy you know because it was an internal work it was realizing that it was about joy and several of my teachers have said that you know you know let's talk about the purpose of life is about happiness is about Mm. joy Mm. I'll buy that and we often forget that when we think it's about getting the latest car or getting the latest house and yeah it's remembering the feeling beneath that that um how would that feel to have those things And so, yeah, I'm glad you found those exercises. And I'll I'll be honest, I don't remember all of them off the top of my
1: head. I'm not surprised to hear it, but (laughs) one of the beautiful themes that runs through them all, I think, is this concept of opening to receive. Opening to receive and then, of course, receiving in a way that represents or reflects rather your own sense of self-worth. When we talk about financial worth and self-worth, to me, those two things are directly correlated. Nobody's going to become abundant if they have a low Mm self-worth. At some level, they have to love themselves and believe that they're worthy of receiving abundance. Mm -hmm. So these exercises focus, to my mind, on that aspect of it, rather than just sit down and visualise. Visualise your nice, beautiful house in the countryside and ignore the voice in the back of your mind that's saying something negative about the whole thing. So I think it's a great take on prosperity and abundance. Great take on gratitude, compassion. So many more here that we could talk about. Um, uh, I was just kind of struck there as I looked at the chapter titles, Mindful Speaking. Mm tell us a little bit about mindful speaking would you please okay so that's one of the
0: the precepts so i had eight precepts in the monastery Mm. and one of them was mindful speech so mindful speaking i found that i used to worry quite a lot when i lived in the city when i traveled because i wasn't very skillful i'd steal i would lie and you know it's like it was a done thing in the office i'm just going to take these pens i'm just going to go to the pub i'm just going to steal this glass or the this picture because it's like oh and and therefore i had this worry and i found one of the things was about speaking just to be really mindful about what i was saying if yeah i remember the abbot said to me some one time he says if you can't not say it don't say it (laughs) because there's that urge sometimes that we go you know especially in lockdown at the moment or you know around this time that we feel we've got to tell our partners and you can feel that irritation and for me that's the time that we breathe we take ourselves off we deal with our stuff and then we can speak more mindfully Uh, i remember a story from one of the monks saying that uh, he knew he had to tell something to someone but he, he he knew it wasn't the right timing so he sat with it he sat with it for about 14 years yes
1: I recall reading that. It did strike me at the time as an extraordinary uh, story about finding the right moment but there you go mm-hmm. There's yeah. courage in that, I think. And, and just wait and hold it. Are you sovereign enough to hold this rather than blurt it out and cause, <laughs> cause your kingdom to crack and maybe even fall apart? Mm, yeah. Mm, mm. So I'd just like to run through a few of the other um, exercises just so that people can perhaps get a, 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 an overall picture of what we're talking about here. So we've mentioned the yoga in passing And the exercise includes all kinds of beautiful techniques for enjoyable exercise, choosing one that people like Mm -hmm. gratitude. We've mentioned abundance. We've mentioned giving and receiving, finding out what you're interested in both spiritually and practically an exercise for compassion, learning to receive yourself as you are, taking charge of your work, feeling your body i'd like to come back to that one in a moment around the question of trauma power relaxation recharge i love that one (laughs) whoa (laughs) dealing with the inner critic finding your passion stepping into your fear and the laughter one we've mentioned whole body relaxation technique fantastic and just to make the point again how to be patient with your loved ones seeing the reflection of you and your partner, learning communication from others, healing relationships, decluttering, and so on. But just to make the point again, doesn't mean you have to do all 44 every day. You're choosing what suits you best for the areas that will be most important and relevant to you. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yes, definitely. It's like... Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, with that said, what would you say to somebody in crisis right now and you know who who, somebody who needs instant help okay so I mean I will
0: just share you know from for me my monastic experience was as I've shared before messy and there was there's many things I did but if I was to reflect three really important things first thing was the exercise Really, When I used to struggle and I would just put my boots on and I'd go out for a walk. That would be the first thing we were able to do that. So it's like go outside, you know, and I think there's research by Irving Kirsch at the University of Hull. He was just saying that um, antidepressants and um, exercise have a similar um, benefit um, in helping with depression but the relapse rate, I can't remember the exact figures, but something like only 8% relapse with exercise and something like 30% relapse with antidepressants. And so it's like, oh, okay. So for me, exercise, that was the thing that I did every day I'd walk. The second thing I would suggest is breath. And Emma Seppeler talks about it in her book, The Happiness Track, She's a Stanford professor. And she basically saying that, It's very difficult for us to talk our way out of stress, Mm. to try and ah, breathe. We can breathe our way out of stress. So a very simple one is the box breath. You breathe in for four, you hold your breath for four, you breathe out for four, and you hold your breath for four. And I realized that I've
1: frozen. Okay, are you back? Um, no audio peers, you're muted. That's it. Okay, the box breath.
0: The box breath. So it was just breathing in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four, mm-hmm. and then hold for four. So
1: Absolutely. just
0: something simple like that, counting it on your fingers. One, two, and if you're walking, you can do that as you're walking steps. One, two, three, four. Hold your breath. One, two three four and that you know if you do that for a little while that will start to to, um, to you know to help you
1: but certainly i tried that when i was reading the book and it certainly changed my state It's it's just simple and effective mm. so exercise breath and the third thing is community
0: for me you community. know so i had you know i know it's hard at the moment with the lockdown. And yet there's groups like, you know, where we met the mankind project, there's lots of other men's groups, women's groups, mixed groups, which are meeting online. Um, you know, the mankind project are meeting every week message, you know, I've got a a group that I meet every two weeks on a Thursday night, which is an open group for men. It's like there are these spaces where we can get that community. Mm. It might be, you have a friend that you call, uh, you know that someone you can reach out to and so for me that's the third thing you know i had the support of the monks the abbot said to me he said Any time you've got a problem Piers, come and knock on my door i'm here for you yeah and and often first six months i didn't help take him up on that and it's i had to learn to receive
1: of course that's the beautiful concept learning to receive yeah so thank you. So one thing I'd like to cover that I mentioned a moment ago is trauma stored in the body mm. and how people can deal with that because we're more and more I think coming to understand this is not just a mental thing That the effect of wounding in childhood and adolescence and that of course or, um, adulthood as well can be trauma that's stored in the body. Mm. So if anybody's in that situation what would you recommend?
0: Yeah so I mean the, what I found myself is to do you know practice like um, matrix re-imprinting eft Mm. something like that that you're that you're dealing with those early traumas so as i share in my book i had some traumatic things happen and i can now go back to those memories and they're not weighty they don't bother me at all now and that's through the work i've done with the eft and doing that with the matrix re-imprinting so it's like uh, taking the charge out. Otherwise, it's like we're carrying these rocks, and it's like, why can't I find joy in my life? It's because we've got all of this I think you call it the shadow bag, or
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know you've got this bag that we're holding, and therefore right. part, part of the work is, for me is going in and either working with a therapist, or, you know, I do my own work personally, but then I also have a therapist I work with, and I find that that just helps me to go through my stuff as it as it comes up um so you know there's jungian analysis there's the work that you do rod the shadow work there's for me there's lots of things that for for dealing with trauma now whereas before it was like well that's me i can't change there's no there's no hope for me it's like no you know read if you read my story and you see that wow where i went from to how i am now It's like it's a very different place because of that process of dealing with the unconscious.
1: Very much so, yes. Well, final question for you, Piers. Um, You know, there's shelves and shelves of books on how to live a healthier, happier, better, more wealthy, more productive, more fulfilled, more purposeful life. So let's hear about, straight from you, speaking directly, mindfully, about why this book... Why not one of the others follow your heart Mm.
0: tell me more so it's like you know don't believe me go with your heart if you're drawn to reading this if you're drawn to my story then and you're like yeah then i'd say read it if you're not drawn to it you're not then don't i think so often we say read this do that it's like come come back to your own wisdom come back to your own sense of knowing and i feel we're being told in this world that we don't have this power and yet we do we're so powerful definitely and we have this intuition we have this knowing and you know my my book is is maybe different on one level is that it, there's a lot of story but there's a lot of the techniques and they're not techniques i've just come up with they're either techniques that i've used Um, most of them are the ones that i use to help me get through my own trauma and my uh, my own struggles so um but yeah i'd say just follow your heart
1: it's a very practical book it's not the story of your life that interweaves through it and the exercises and the 101 ways to cultivate resilience well-being and inner peace are very practical i think for me that Something that would really appeal to men. Is it action steps that can be taken? You know, this is the warrior's mission to serve the king. Go out and get something done. Well, in this book, there are plenty of choices that will work well for men who want to heal. And not just heal from the past, but let's remember the title of the book. How to survive and thrive in challenging times exactly a case of it does what it says on the cover ways to survive how to survive and thrive in challenging times so thank you Piers it's fascinating we could talk for much longer but you know as always we could talk for much longer but I think that will have given at least some of the listeners a flavor of your book which I highly recommend so would you like to tell us how they can get hold of it and perhaps also a little bit more about the work that you're doing yeah. and, and perhaps any prospect, any future projects that you've got in mind. Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you, Ron. So yeah, my book is available on Amazon, uh, certainly US, UK, it is available in Europe as well, and I think through to Japan. It is, um, so yes, that's available for people to buy. The Kindle version will be up in the next week. Just working on that at the moment. Uh, How to work with me is, the work I do, partly is one-to-one coaching, that I work with people, and I work on a coaching level and a therapeutic. I work two levels really, the conscious, so working out practice, tools and then the unconscious going into those areas where we're stuck the traumas and just letting them go um, so we're not carrying that baggage forward and you can find out more about me at peers com, and I'll put a, a link in the, the description as well and your final question was about future projects is I've realized that I love writing I love creating and so I have s- nearly finished my second book which is about my boarding school experiences i have a third book which i'm about halfway through which is a fiction book uh which is about it's called the happiness quest and it's about a a, very similar to my story in london uh, about a man there and then my next book uh after that my fourth book's about relationships um so but it yeah so i have lots of projects
1: Great well I shall look forward to talking with you about the boarding school book because that's a subject of such importance for so many people. Mm-hmm. Men and women alike as it happens in my experience just as many women wounded by that experience as mm-hmm. were men and um, uh, fewer in absolute terms of course because fewer women went to boarding school but the damage is just as profound. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be an interesting conversation. So in the meantime, thank you. It's been an absolute delight talking with you. And like I said, I recommend the book simply because it's a practical, usable, straightforward manual of tools and techniques that people can pick up and use right now to make themselves feel better, let alone heal the wounds of the past. So it's it's of its time, isn't it? Its title tells us that. How to survive and thrive in challenging times. <laughs> Did you have that in mind before COVID nineteen? Well, I'll
0: be honest. I wrote it when I first wrote it. It was called the Wellbeing Way. Oh
1: yes.
0: But then I, I, about two months ago, I gave it to a client and I said, you know, what do you think? And he says it's brilliant, but call it How to Survive and Thrive in Challenging Times because it is that. It is. And I'm like,
1: oh, okay and um, so that, Rest, that's as I... they say is history <laughs> yeah. good well thank you again piers and we'll see you next time on the podcast
0: okay thank you very much rod okay thank you pleasure
1: bye for now